The following podcast was produced by Latter-day Radio, originally broadcast on KLO in Salt Lake City, Utah. We have our guests here, Elder Phil and Sister Doreen Lear. Martin's here with me. Let me give you a little background about Elder Lear. He was my third companion in Germany in 1965. Now you've dated us, haven't I? Um, And we were in Herxt, which is, we lived across the street from a chemical plant, which wasn't the healthiest of places to, to be, but... I learned to love this man. I can say, uh, probably my favorite companion. We mentioned last segment, we, we posed the question, is history a small and simple thing? Is it one of those small and simple things that don't really matter? Why is it so important? Maybe the two of you can tell us why it is, in fact, so important and what you did for the last two years. So are we talking about history, generally speaking, or church history specifically? I don't know. Why don't you answer the question and tell us what you think? Well, my answer to the question about uh, history, which for most most people in school was a Yonner class, um, history is important because those who do not know their history are fated to repeat it. Now, that is, uh, I wish I could claim that uh, as my my line, but that's the uh, line of Professor... um, Georg de Santillana uh, of Harvard, uh, a Spaniard, who was a a philosopher historian. And uh, his uh, his wisdom, that philosophy plays out before us uh, uh, every day. It plays out in politics, it plays out in uh, 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 the global economy. Those who do not know what's gone before um, risk risk uh, the results of not knowing their history. That's why history is important. Didn't Mormon tell us that in the Book of Mormon too? Uh, That you'll be wiser than we were? Also, I'm sure that's true, but even regarding genealogy and knowing your people and where they came from and what they did, it is proven if you know your people, you feel connected. And if you can feel connected... This is also proven. People are happier. Young people are better students. They, um, we all want to feel connected. And when you do, you just live a happier, more productive life. You have more confidence. And those who don't have a connection flounder. So there's a huge benefit to history in general and family history in particular and maybe church history as well. We connect the dots, and sometimes we uh, lose our bearings, we lose our way, we don't understand how we got to where we are today, and that, uh, uh, that historical context helps us uh, uh, have meaning in our lives. Tell us specifically what the two of you, what your responsibilities were these uh, last two years well, maybe I might start with that. Um, the uh, the credo or the mission of the church history department um, is to gather, preserve, and ultimately share uh, faith stories or stories about the Lord's interaction with his people. And uh, doctrinally, uh, doctrinally, that is found in the 21st 
section of the Doctrine and Covenants, where the Lord, probably in one of his first statements after the organization, though this is on the same day, uh, April 6th, 1830, um, uh, told Joseph, uh, let there be a record kept, or words to that effect. And as, as one reads on in the Doctrine and Covenants, the role of the church historian, and thus all who are uh, associated with the church history department, as we now call it, um, are in the business of gathering, preserving, and, uh, and sharing uh, the interactions of the Lord with his people. That, if you apply that in context to what we were doing, it, it dealt in part with uh, gathering the oral histories of the pioneers of a particular country, uh, meaning those who were the first ones who were taught and baptized, uh, and, and the amazing faith stories uh, that, that come from, uh, from those people. And of course, when applied to to Britain uh, or to the uh, United Kingdom, to Denmark, to Scandinavia, much of Scandinavia, uh, and, and Germany and France, uh, those people have uh, passed on. But when we talk about the new company uh, countries, Italy, Spain, uh, the Balkans, uh, the Eastern, uh, the Central uh, European countries that were behind the Iron Curtain, the living people are, the elderly people now are pioneers. And so one of our foci was uh, uh, gathering the faith stories of those pioneers. That was one thing we did. In case you just joined us, this is Latter-day Radio here in 1430 KLO. Our guests today are Phil and Doreen Lear. I just wanted to go back to that little story that we heard from Gundy in the last quarter hour about how she came across America. And, and after the, we were off the air, I asked her, have you put this into a book? Because it was a wonderful story. And all of us should share these, these stories with our uh, uh, descendants and with our friends and family. And if you don't write, it maybe doesn't have to be a book. A published book, of course, it, but it's a record, your personal record to pass on. And one thing that was told us that really hit me like a rock is if we do not write our stories 50 years after we pass away, it'll be like we never existed. Which, how would you like to know more about your grandmother, your great grandparents? It would be so delightful to have a history of people that have passed on that you probably have never met. And wouldn't it be wonderful to read their stories, particularly spiritual experiences and touching experiences. So we have to all think about that uh, for our people and future people that we will never know. Exactly. I heard the story that... Um Mark Hancock told us 
he of course is one of our sponsors that uh, runs uh, Falma Heritage Publishers. He has Levi Hancock's journal, which is uh, who is uh, was his great 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 something great grandfather, and some remarkable stories in Levi Hancock's uh, story. Then last night when we were working at the temple, we have a brother Savage that we work with there, and I had just watched the movie Seventeen Miracles, and I asked him. I said. That Levi Savage that was in that movie, was he, was he your great-grandfather? And he says, yes, he was my great-grandfather. And in the movie, you see the little boy that was left behind. That was my father's granddad. And so these are real people, and whether it's movies or books or journals, uh, it makes a big difference if we can hearken back to those people and what they did and how they plowed the ground for us. If I may just make one doctrinal tie-off, the reason that we gather the history in part is um, to share with uh, the rising generation. That means our children, our grandchildren, uh, their children, um, the dealings with uh, with the Lord, of the people with the Lord, um, um to show this rising, the rising generations, that the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that his interactions with the people are the same, uh, doctrinally, uh, the, the doctrines of, uh, are the same, they don't change. Uh, practices may evolve, but doctrines don't change. And that is a testimony uh, to the rising generation. That's why we write journals. That's why we write personal histories. That's why we uh, write uh, ward histories. And I'm not talking about the annual histories. I'm talking about the ward histories. And so we'll share with you at the appropriate time the different things we did besides oral take oral histories that, um, that achieved those goals. I think also there, I don't know whether it's a sin, but it's a mistake to get involved in what we call presentism. That means we can criticize the people of the 19th century by applying our standards and our beliefs and the way we do things to them and how they did things. We have no idea unless we're able to read their stories and their journals. Then perhaps we can be more humble, more understanding, and certainly uh, more appreciative of what these people did. One of my great great-great-grandfathers was Joel Hills Johnson, who wrote High on a Mountaintop. Interestingly enough, of all of my progenitors going back that far, he's the only one that wrote a journal or a history. So I feel really connected to him. And whenever that song, High on a Mountaintop, comes out, I, I get a little tear in my eye, a little, little uh, you know, choke up a little bit, because I, I read the story of how he wrote that, the text for that um, the lyrics for that song. He was unloading a wagon in front of what is now the city and county building, and be, there were not buildings in the way, and he saw a flag, a banner, on top of the Ensign Peak, and he was sitting there waiting in line to unload his lumber. That's when it came to him. He wrote it on an envelope, and the person he showed it to that was unloading the lumber was John Taylor, and John said, this is wonderful. May I take this? I'll get it back to you. And that's how we have that in our songbook today. This faith-affirming podcast is a production of Latter-day Radio for the enlightenment and illumination of its audience. 
originally broadcast on KLO Radio in Salt Lake City, Utah. More faith-affirming podcast content from Latter-day Radio coming your way. Stick around. We're back here on Latter-day Radio on 1430 KLO World Class Talk, broadcasting from the intersection of faith and freedom. Our guests today are Phil and Doreen Lear, and we're talking about the importance of history, specifically their mission that they served for two years. They came home in last month in October, uh, doing a church archival and historical mission. Uh, Doreen, you had something to say before we went to break. What exactly did? What exactly were your was on your to do list? What, what were the tasks that you had to do every day? We probably did about eight things. I'm going to talk to you mostly about two of them. When we first went on our mission, we were um, asked to open up an archive in every European country. We called them a records preservation center. But literally, the Salt Lake City archivists would come out and put these places together because these church collections, their books, their journals, their um, papers from the stakes and wards, all the minutes, all these things were to be collected and preserved in archival environment, acid-free folders, a cold, dark room, um, and of course someone to manage it, and then shared with, in time, everything hopefully will be online where anyone from anywhere in the world can look up a church history in any country. That's the, the whole idea. But we also interviewed people And in the beginning, it was very much about um, conversion stories. Now the church wants to know the feelings and the reflections of released stake presidents, released mission presidents, released relief society presidents, much more about the wives, even the wives of a mission president. The women are very important to the whole scope of things in church history. And um, we were actually asked to to document historical sites. Very often, the first members would meet in somebody's home or a rented hall. And the church wants to know and have stories about these first members or members, maybe not even the very first, but the stories of the earliest members, where they lived, their struggles, their challenges, their successes, their, um, how they saw the Lord's hand in their callings, many factions of being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints through the years. So that was the most lovely experience to interview these amazing early saints, and even present saints who have, we interviewed um, President Babin, who was the mission president when the Paris temple went in. And there was an amazing before the temple and after the temple situation that happened in Paris. And 
that was my most exciting part of this mission. We did a lot of things, probably like eight different activities as church history advisors for Europe. But the most compelling was really collecting and taking interviews. It was hard work, wasn't it? It was busy, but it's good to be busy. And of course, in the beginning, nobody asked me about my computer skills, (laughs) which were horrible, to say the least. And I probably tore my hair out for the first two or three months trying to figure out how to deal with this computer staring me in the face. We did go a lot to travel to different countries. Maybe on the average, we were gone a week out of the month. But then three weeks out of each month, I had to sit and deal with my computer. And thank goodness for Elder Lair. He was great. He jumped out of his chair to help me because I needed help in every way. But I have to say, after two years, I feel pretty darn good about my computer, at least the skills that I needed to apply for the things that I needed to do, which were varied. Um, So, wonderful. Busy, busy, and very rewarding. I I might add that uh, the the official title of our call was um, Area Church History Advisors, meaning advisors to the Europe Area Presidency. Uh, They were our direct line leaders and our first contacts, which is is a a priesthood... uh, um, uh, a term for who reports to whom. So we did not work in a presiding bishopric department. We worked in the church history uh, uh, department, uh, meaning it was more an ecclesiastical uh, uh, tasking than it was a um, uh, all the things that the presiding bishop office does with housing, with uh, facilities, with motor pools, with uh, uh, welfare issues, uh, etc. So <clears throat> we were probably, as, as Sister Lear said, uh, 75% managerial and 25% field work. And the field work, I must say, was a highlight. Uh, uh, to give you uh, to give you an idea of some of the other things we did, we've already talked about oral histories, uh, designating or documenting historical sites. Uh, we collected artifacts. People think uh, that it's primarily a records preservation, uh, but it also include uh, includes artifacts. And and some of the artifacts that we might have uh, would be um, uh, a brick, for example, from the first first church meeting site in uh, England, in Preston Chorley, uh, uh, a number of things uh, such as that. But they would also include the, uh, the sacrament trays uh, and the glass, the glass cups that were used in Europe up until the time we were. Uh, right. We were on our missions in the mid-60s. Handmade. And, and, and many of these were handmade, especially the ones that were in use uh, behind the Iron Curtain, and portable. So they could take them, I don't want to say surreptitiously, but certainly uh, disguised from meeting to meeting without worrying about being intercepted by uh, the secret police of the uh, uh, 
of the communist countries, um, uh, plaques uh, for dedication sites that were no longer in use, uh, plaques for uh, mission sites that were no longer in use, uh, picture albums taken in the 20s, uh, even earlier, uh, that had been donated. Um, uh, th uh, there were many objects we had to use white gloves for so there wouldn't be an acid uh, damage. Didn't you also say your work's still not done? You have 73,000 images you have to download that uh, Doreen's got to put into the computer for you. <laughs> Thank goodness I'm not the one in charge of doing that, but we did do a great work in what was the former East Germany. We had advisors and what was called specialists, people that worked under the advisors. Two people all through Europe can only do so much. So we did have church history, what were called advisors, from most of the countries. They spoke the language. They knew the people. And we had a particularly wonderful couple who were born and raised in East Germany, and they knew people who had been keeping records for years. And in the beginning, we were to set up these archives, but the church in the last few months has realized that digitization is the future, to literally have professional cameras, camera capturers, go to where the collections are and take images, high-resolution, gorgeous images. If you saw a picture in a book that had 40 people grouped, you know, having a portrait, your great-grandfather could have been there, but his head is going to be the size of a pin. And so if you see an image that is on your computer down the line you can expand it and maybe see that image a lot clearer. And actually, the, the resolution is so high that the camera capture image is actually better than the actual book or page of the real thing. So that's the future. So again, it can go online and be seen by anybody in the world rather than sit in an archive Gathering dust. And yeah, and, and really and you're not to go in those archives because they're for storage. They're for preservation. And the church wants everybody to see these records, have the ability, you know, researchers, family members, anybody. Oh, to critics be able will say we do that things. so we can hide them from people. Well, originally, uh, all these types of artifacts and records were brought back to the archives in Salt Lake City. Uh, and about 10 years ago, a, a, a policy decision was made by the Brethren to decentralize the archives. And that's when the assignment that we had came into being. And uh, so we were, rather than sending documents back to Salt Lake City, they would be kept in the country so that eventually uh, people might have direct access uh, to those uh, to those originals, and it was just in January of this year that the policy uh, that is 2018 that the policy was changed to to digitizing 
images, records, not artifacts. We still take the artifacts, but the images of records first and then and take the originals only when, as it were, thrust upon us or when the people were just going to throw them away, then we would take the originals. Or willing to donate. Yeah. But if you've been collecting something for years and years and years and it is your pet, people really have a hard time donating so this way we can get capture the records this podcast has been produced by latter day radio visit latterdayradio.com for more information